This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey guys, what's up? It's Haley and this is Kindled. Today I am talking with Elisa Childers. She is amazing. I know so many of you probably follow and love her. If you're like me, you also loved her music growing up. She was a member of the band Zoe Girl. So yeah, that's cool and legit. And I freaked out a little when I realized that a Zoe Girl band member was an apologist and an a expert in progressive Christianity. I was like, too good to be true. It is just simply too good to be true. So I'm a huge fan of Elisa's. But before we get into her um, interview, I want to let you know that today's episode is sponsored by H. Williams Creative. And that is my web design and graphic design business. That is what I do from home. I build websites for my clients, do marketing, social, design logos, all the things, all the digital marketing, graphic design things. So if that's something that you ever find yourself needing in your small business or any sort of a, you know, whatever, venture that you're doing, let me know. You can check out my website at hwilliamscreative.com and would love to chat with you. Um, Another announcement before we get started is that on Fridays, uh, we are doing Kindled Firestarters episodes now. Every single week, Firestarters episodes drop on Friday for our Patreon community. You can join that Patreon community for $10 a month. I know it's $10, but you get four bonus episodes, and they are between 15 to 30 minutes each. So they're shorter, which means it's not like another full hour-long episode for you to listen to. It's just a short little 15 to 30-minute deal, which is a lot easier for most of us to get in in a commute or a walk around the neighborhood with your stroller, whatever you're doing. Um, And they are on a little bit more like kind of current, whatever's happening that week in the news or um, culturally, politically, socially, theologically, whatever's going on. That's what I'm going to be talking about. And so there's things that I'm interested in which are the same things that you guys are often interested in talking about. And we just dissect stuff on there and look at things from a biblical worldview, um, which is like really what I do anywhere I'm talking on this podcast or with anything else. But it's just a little bit more of an intimate, raw, and unrefined, you know, type production over there. Uh, It doesn't mean it's not good. It just means I haven't had to interview a guest and sit down for an hour and have questions and answers. It's just kind of me and the mic. So that is what Kindled Firestarters are every single Friday, bonus episodes. You want to be in there. Uh, You can join at patreon.com slash Kindled Podcast, okay? Um, I think that's all we have. So let's get into my conversation with Elisa. Elisa, thank you so much for being on today. Hi, Haley. Thanks for having me. Um, I have been a huge fan of yours. I didn't, didn't tell you this, but I was a huge Zoe Girl fan when oh, I was my. younger, like middle to high school. I was obsessed. Oh, that's so sweet. I know. I, so when I, I think what I actually, how I first found your podcast was just in, you know, I don't know if it was, you had a guest on that I was searching for that guest. I can't remember exactly how I found your show, but I started listening and at one point you mentioned your, you know, being in the band. And I was like, no way. I was so excited. And I was just like, this is the best a lady that I loved as a, you know, as a younger girl. And now look up to, you know, just what you are doing in the space of apologetics and, um, defending Christianity and, and really, um, providing so much truth on your show. Well, I'm I'm really appreciative that you said that because one of the reasons I decided to actually pull the trigger and start a blog and start doing apologetics publicly was because of people like you. Because I remember thinking after I had, and I know we're going to get into a little bit of my story in a moment, but 
when I went through a time of doubt and came back out of it and had studied apologetics for a few years, I was actually just going to kind of put that aside and just, you know, say, I'm satisfied in my own faith now and what's next. But because I knew that there were a lot of girls that followed Zoe Girl that might be going through some of these same kind of doubts or might have questions that they don't know where to turn for answers. Why don't I just start a little blog and maybe people I went to high school with and old Zoe Girl fans might find some truth that they might not have found in other places. And so yeah. it really blesses me to know that, um, that you know, you, you found my my blog and my podcast and that it's uh, enriched your life in some way. Oh, so that, yeah. that's a blessing. Yeah, it is so cool. I, I love that connection. And, um, and I just appreciate, you know, what you're doing on your show. And, and I have, you know, in a lot of ways, I, I've been at this, I don't know, when, when did you start your show? Well, I started my blog in 2016 and I started okay. my podcast in 2017. Okay. So you're about a year ahead of me in terms of podcast world. So I started in um, 2018. And I, I've just, I I feel like, you know how your show kind of changes over the years, like as Mm -hmm. you change or, you know, the direction you want to take it. And I found that, um, I've just, I I think I've drifted more into the world of, um, you know, topics around faith and theology and apologetics, because that's what I'm passionate about. And yours has been a great model for me to see how you do that. And, um, and just, you do it with such grace. So, Anyway, um, but I would love for you to, so now that everyone knows that you're, you're a, you know, former Zoe girl member, um, hopefully they have heard of you. And if not, you guys just, you got to go listen. It's just good music. If you have kids, even, I mean, my daughter is, my oldest is almost six and I think she's at the age where she would really start getting into it. Mm -hmm. Um, it is funny how the music sort of, you know, it's, it doesn't sound, not all of it sounds dated. It's, no, you know, you can listen and be like, oh, you know, you could, you could do that too. The clothes, however, the clothes are a little dated. <laughs> right, my right. daughter, and whenever she sees like bell bottom jeans, she says, mom, look, they're Zoe girl jeans. <laughs> right. But you know, the funny thing is like, I mean, they might be dated to us, but like my, I have a sister that's about 11 years younger than me. And I would say it actually looks like the stuff she's wearing. I know it's coming back though. It That's is coming right. back. Yeah. yeah it's like, like 2000 and yes. it's, it's like 20 years later. Can you believe that? No, it's been like I can't. 20 years since Zoe Girl's first album came out, but yeah. So those, those jeans That's are coming wild. back. Yeah. I <laughs> love it. Um, so yeah. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your story and your background? Yeah. Well, I, man, well, like you mentioned, I was in Christian music for many years, but just going back before that, I was raised in the church. I was raised in the evangelical subculture of the eighties and nineties, which a lot of people are talking about now with the whole purity culture. And, uh, you know, there was good parts about it and there was some stinky parts about it, but that, that was the environment I was raised in. Uh, but, but even through all that, my parents were very real Christians. They weren't just Sunday Christians. They weren't cultural Christians. This was something that went all the way into our bones as as a family. We studied the Bible together. We prayed together. Uh, Not just that, but our faith produced a desire to help those less fortunate. So my mom had us working soup lines at the Fred Jordan Mission in LA. And my dad had us out doing street ministry in New York and Hollywood. And so it was a very regular part of my life to see Christians who loved and read the Bible, but also loved and served people. Mm -hmm. And from what I'm sort of gathering now at my age and talking with people who grew up in that same time period is they didn't see those things really working together or there, there were abuses or, or legalism things they went through as a part of that, that environment. But, you know, honestly, I'm just, I'm really thankful to see, um, Christianity lived out in a very real way, even, even watching forgiveness and repentance, uh, take place in my family. My, my dad went through, um, some, some rough things and watching him, you know, repent and, and just invite the Lord to, to work in his life. All of that was very instrumental in forming what I believed Christianity was. And I love Jesus. I love the Bible as far back as I could read and write. I've just loved the Bible and I've loved Jesus. And then of course going into Zoe girl and, um, you know, I, I, I don't mean to, to make it sound like my life was perfect. It wasn't, we had very difficult times. I went through a lot of emotional distress in my young life, like everybody does. Uh, but, but, you know, Jesus was always where I would go. That was my source. You know, even when I blow it and I make mistakes, it's just coming back and doing that repentance that was modeled for me. So after Zoe Girl came off the road, 
I was still doing some music, some solo music, and I was invited to sing at a church uh, just here in Middle Tennessee. And my husband and I just immediately connected with this church. We loved the pastor. We loved the people. And we loved the the sense of community we found there. Mm-hmm. And so after about eight months, the pastor invited me to be a part of a weekly study group that was going to meet for four years. And at the time, I was super excited about it because I had a new baby at home. And you know, like when you, you're, you're kind of in this phase, you have a seven-month-old, mm-hmm. I think you said, yeah. you know this phase of life. You feel like the only thing you, you do is change diapers and feed yeah. other cu- tiny humans. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of probably starving for some kind of intellectual stimulation or something outside of that world. And so it was very appealing to me to be able to say, okay, I can leave the baby with a babysitter and go get some, uh, right. you know, good stimulation spiritually, intellectually. Well, it was in the context of this class that the, the, the pastor revealed that he was really an agnostic and he was going through a process uh, that, your listeners may or may not have heard of called deconstruction, where we're seeing a lot of people go through this process where they're sort of picking apart all their beliefs. And sometimes they become atheists and sometimes they become a a different kind of Christian. And so um, I think that's what was going on there. But Mm -hmm. everything I'd ever believed was really challenged intellectually. And it was challenged by a pastor who had won my respect and my trust. So when I was out on the streets of LA and I met an atheist and they would say, well, you know, the Bible's not reliable. I just, I was so, it was easy for me to just dismiss that because it was an atheist. Of course, they don't believe the Bible is the word of God or whatever. I just thought, well, you know, if they just give their lives to Jesus, they'll get it. But here was a pastor, and this was a guy that I, I mean, I thought the world of him intellectually, I thought the world of him uh, just in his ability to think through scriptures and things. So I was really confused. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I lasted about four months in the class. Finally, my husband and I made the decision to leave the church, but it was after we left that I went through a really dark time of doubt and uh, my own process of deconstruction. Mm -hmm. And it was really through apology that God helped rebuild my faith. And so uh, that's that's how I landed with apologetics because like I mentioned before, I'd studied on my own. And then when my own faith was settled and sort of rebuilt, uh, I didn't I didn't dream I'd be able to help other people. So it's it's really a thrill to be able to do that through my blog and my podcast. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I I uh I think that your story is probably one that a lot of people have um experienced it, maybe not in full, but some aspect of it, someone that they trust introducing ideas of um doubt and questioning and and uh you know, I want to be careful to say that it's it's not wrong to have questions. It's and it's not even wrong necessarily to um to have this concept of, uh, you know, doubt, as long as you are actually seeking an answer and you're after certainty rather than just, um, this virtuous doubting, you know, which has kind of become the new virtue is to question everything and doubt your faith and doubt your doubts and everything. And, um, and and so like, I, I don't think you would say that it's, inherently wrong to ask a question, but there was a difference between just like having questions and, and, and seeking answers and what you walked through. Can you kind of talk about what that difference was? Yeah, I, that's a great question and an important distinction to make. So one thing I discovered when I was in this class was, you know, a lot of questions were being asked. And every week we would tackle a different question uh, based on maybe a book we were reading because we were always reading through different books. Mm -hmm. And so I would go home and I would do all this just furiously researching the question, trying to to land at an answer because I was bothered by the question, which, you know, some of the best questions do bother us because we, we, we need to get to the bottom of, of what the truth is underneath it. Then I'd come back the next week, all ready to discuss like the answer that I found only to discover that they had just moved on to the next question and nobody really seemed to care about getting to the answer. They really, it it became clear to me, they were really more interested in just asking more questions. Mm -hmm. And so I think that one of uh, the, the important things to think about and the way I think about it is doubt is fine. I mean, the Bible is filled with examples of believers going through doubt, even John the Baptist going through a time, a little moment of doubt there. And Jesus is tender toward doubters. I have a blog post on this on my website where I talk about 
just the tenderness of God toward people who are doubting honestly. But I would say, you know, when we doubt, we need to doubt well. And if we're going to ask a question, ask a question with the desire to know what the answer is. Now, not every question has an answer. I mean, God hasn't revealed everything, but where there is an answer, you know, we should be asking questions in order to find answers. And so it was really interesting because I remember one class when somebody said something like, you know, why are they, I I forget if they called them fundies, you know, fundamentalists, fundies, Mm -hmm. so afraid of, of questions Mm -hmm. and everything in me, I didn't say this out loud, but I wanted to say, well, why are you so afraid of answers? Because that's, that seems like this kind of goes both ways. And so where they might rightly point out that some people have a fearful uh, reaction to somebody asking a difficult question. uh, We also need to acknowledge that questions, there's a purpose for asking a question. And so often it's in the progressive world and, and in this deconstruction world and the narrative, there's almost this culture of doubt, this culture of questioning where uh, the, the point isn't to find answers and to land on truth, but the point is just to keep wandering out into the outskirts. And, um, and I think that that's a really important distinction to make and keep in mind as even as we ask our own questions and go through doubt and help others who are going through doubt to, to sort of diagnose that doubt is my friend Hillary Ferrer from Mama Bear Apologetics mm-hmm. talks about diagnosing doubt. What what's underneath that doubt and try to get to the bottom of it because um, often people who ask questions don't really want. Uh, so okay, you were talking about diagnosing doubt. So as you know, looking back because you you kind of have um, the perspective of now having come through that experience and, and now your faith is strong and rooted and you know why you believe what you believe and you've walked through that process looking back, um, you know, did you, can you kind of imagine back to where you were? Did you feel that, um, the bulk of your questioning was around issues that were fact oriented or was it more that there were there was like this underlying feeling of uncertainty like what was at the heart um i don't know if that's possible for you to to you know describe for us but what was what was sort of underlying uh all of your yeah. um you know deconstruction experience what was at no, the bottom of a- it that's a great question because people deconstruct for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Some people have been through abuses or they've, um, you know, they're walking away from something that was a false version of Christianity. And as far as I can, you know, I, I think I'm a fairly self-aware person, but as far as I can ascertain, my doubt was 100% intellectual. It had to do with the facts because I had no reason to, to doubt my faith based on any experiential element. Mm-hmm. I loved the gospel. I, I thought it was the most beautiful story I've ever heard. I loved God. I loved Jesus. There was nothing I read in the Bible. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this because so many people read the Bible and are really bothered by things, but I read the Bible and loved it. I never, I never read something where I was like, oh, I don't, I don't like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a reason to doubt. And so I think it was about facts. I mean, when this pastor came in and was saying really specific things, and again, at the time, I didn't know any apologetics. I didn't even, I hadn't really ever studied theology uh, from in a systematic sense or even in a biblical sense. I just studied the Bible, but it was sort of like, you know, I not that I picked and chose, but it sort of did end up that way because I grew up in a stream of, of um, evangelicalism that really wasn't very systematic in its, theo- in its theology. Mm-hmm. It was kind of uh, subjective a little bit. And so I, I never, um, I, I didn't know how to answer some of the things that he was saying in the class. And so because he had planted all these seeds of doubt when I was away from the class, that's when those doubts really took root. So, um, yeah, for me, it was all about, oh my gosh, is this beautiful story and this beautiful God that's walked with me all my life, is this all just not true? Is, is every time I thought I sensed the presence of God, uh, was that just, you know, synapses in my brain firing in response to, to stimuli. And so I, I just, it was in my mind as best I can diagnose it. It was purely intellectual. Okay. So then how did you, I mean, did that, did that intellectual uncertainty lead you to, um, 
a feeling that everything you had believed was a lie or was there, were there, you know, other things that kind of entered into that experience as far as, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm just speaking from my own perspective. I'm a pretty emotionally driven person. And so I feel like sometimes the facts can all kind of build to make me feel a certain way about something. Was that something that you would say was true of you? Yeah, I think there's probably elements of that. I'm a I'm a feeler too. I'm very I'm uh very much, you know, like an empathetic kind of type person. I'm much mm-hmm. more of a flaky artist than I am an intellectual, so I'm a feeler <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh but but I think that maybe one element that contributed is you know, being in Zoe Girl, we traveled around and experienced every kind of Christian you can imagine, every kind of church situation you can imagine. And they weren't always beautiful experiences, I'll just mm-hmm. say. Yeah. You know, we've we played everything from the rock star pastor megachurch to uh, really legalistic, small, little, you know, I, I, one thing that comes to mind is is we were invited to sing on a Sunday morning at a small little church. And so we went and sang and we got letters to our management after we sang, just blasting us. And the the church was just deeply offended by us. And the reason was that because we had worn, we wore pants and I didn't even know that was a thing. I wore nice pants. I I thought they were dressy pants, you know? And so, um, I experienced, you know, stuff like that. And so, I remember toward the end of my time in Zoe Girl just having this sort of bad taste in my mouth about what I had seen in the church. Not all of it, for sure. I mean, we had, for for as many of those stinky experiences, we had, you know, a dozen wonderful experiences with very genuine, great Christians. Mm-hmm. But there was just enough of that where I was like, man, we got we to gotta change some things. And so finding this other group of people that was saying, yeah, we, we think there's some things that need to change too. Only I just didn't realize they were going to throw the gospel out with, you know, the, throw the baby out with the bathwater, throw the gospel out. And so, um, I think there were emotional reasons that opened me up to even be vulnerable to be in that position in the first place for sure. Yeah. So as you started on that journey of, you know, uh, I guess trying to reconstruct, trying to figure out, you know, is, is the Christianity that you had been in love with and had believed all those years, was there actually historical evidence for it? Was it true? Did it really happen? Um, Where was there, you know, was there anything that kind of helped you to identify where uh, your feelings and those fears um, were possibly, you know, unfounded and that there was an actual absolute truth that was truer than your feelings in a sense, if you will. I mean, and and not that feelings are completely invalid um, or useless. I don't think they are at all. Um, God gave, you know, God made us emotionally um, capable human beings with the capacity to feel. And I I don't think that they're um, inherently wrong, but uh, was there anything that kind of helped you to go, okay, even if I am feeling this way about my faith and feeling like it's possible that everything I've believed is a lie. I, I'm, I'm clinging or holding on to, you know, the possibility that, that I'm, I'm, I could be wrong and I might not, maybe I shouldn't land at that spot. Maybe I shouldn't accept that whatever I'm feeling is that believed it was, um, I, the feelings that we're doubting. Well, yeah, the feeling, the doubt was excruciating. I didn't want to doubt. Mm. I, I would pray and, you know, it was like, you've heard the term cognitive dissonance where you almost like believe two things at the same time. Yeah. That's the kind of torment I was in because nothing in me wanted for Christianity to be false. In fact, the idea that Christianity could be false was uh, just about the most horrible feeling of despair I could describe. Wow. Um, So so there was nothing uh, in me that was like, yeah, I kind of think this isn't true. I kind of mm. deep down thought it was true. Okay. But yeah, he okay. had done such a good job of planting those doubts that and it was really it had a lot to do with feelings because my my faith because I'm such a feeler, my whole life if anybody were to say, "Oh, God doesn't exist or Jesus wasn't real or the resurrection didn't happen." I had experiences that I believed were the presence of God like in worship services and camp meetings and things that I so 
believed were true. But what this pastor had successfully done was convince me that, you know, we can all trick ourselves into having those kind of transcendent experiences, Mm -hmm. you know, and then making comparisons to rock concerts. And I had sort of felt similar feelings when I'd hear a really great song that maybe didn't have to do with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so it confused me because I thought, well, gosh, maybe that wasn't the presence of God I felt, but that that was just the warm fuzzies I got from being in a situation I like being in. And so um, that's where the confusion came because I just thought, well, I can't trust my feelings. And so that's when I went into apologetics and said, okay, I'm just going to ignore my feelings and Mm -hmm. I'm going to, as best I can with my intellect, look at all of these arguments and look at all the evidence and, and see how it stacks up. Yeah, that's interesting. So for a time you had to, like, you just, you just said you had to kind of ignore your feelings. Um, where did you, where were you able to, um, I don't know, it, did you find that like, as you walked through the process of reconstruction and learning about the history and examining the evidence, and you talk about this all the time on your podcast and you, you know, you talk to experts in this field of, uh, you know, who, who understand like the actual, likelihood that all of these manuscripts would have been written in the same time and had all these details that happened to align with the culture and the time and, you know, and, and how that actually played a really big role for you in reconstructing your faith to go, this is not just like fairy tale. This is, this is real. This really happened. Um, was there a time where you, like your feelings met up with that truth again? That's a great question too. Uh, yes. And I don't, I I don't think I could pinpoint one grand moment mm-hmm. when that happened. Um, in fact, it was a really, really long process. I would, I re, okay. So for, for like a year after we left that church, we immediately just picked another one and, um, one that we felt was solid theologically. Cause I didn't want my kids to not be in church. Mm-hmm. And so I would just sit in the very back row, very high up in the balcony. And I would just cry for like, I think it was like a year before I could even participate in the worship. But while I was back there and they would worship, I would feel all those feelings I felt as a child Mm -hmm. of feeling like the presence of God, but I was doubting it. I was like, well, you know, this is just familiar. This is just something I'm sociologically connected to, or is it, or is this really the presence of God? And so there was a, a long while where I got really back into that feeler thing where I was, you know, I'd feel the presence of God and that would give me some assurance. Um, but then, you know, when that church started going in a different direction off the rails theologically, then that really rattled me back to go, okay, you know, I cannot trust my feelings. And so Mm -hmm. I think I've, if I'm totally vulnerable and honest, I've sort of been on a flip-flopping kind of roller coaster with that. Like how much can I trust Mm -hmm. what I'm feeling is God versus, so, so I think where I've landed to be safe with it is I know what I know is true. And there've been times since then where my, my feelings have really lied to me. Um, and one, you know, if we, if we want to go deep for a second, um, this, and I've talked a little bit about this publicly, not a ton, but, uh, last in Thanksgiving, two days after Thanksgiving, my nephew who's 21 years old overdosed and, and died. And it was just a complete shock. And I'm very close with my whole family, my sister. So it was, it was something that, um, just completely, uh, overhauled our family with grief. And, and it was, indescribable. Mm, And I remember the night it happened, my sister called me and I knew that he had died. And so I'm having to process like my little baby boy. In fact, I was, I was just writing about him in my book. I was writing a story about him that day. And so I was just like, oh my gosh, I, I I mean, first of all, your mind just can't catch up. It's, you can't even Mm -hmm. process what's happening, but this overwhelming feeling of despair came over me. And this is just like a few months ago. And so I drove to the hospital and my sister, I don't know how deep you normally go on this podcast. <laughs> oh, my, well, we go wherever we need to. Okay, good. Well, my sister, you know, she wanted me to go in the room and, and look at him. And I remember when I went in the room to look at him, it was like the darkest feeling I've ever felt in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it felt as if all joy and hope and love had been sucked out of the universe. And it, there was just nothing but a doom filled void. And I remember feeling that way and just, and just going, I feel this is the darkest I've ever felt in my whole life. Mm -hmm. And so we finished up at the hospital and I got back in my car, um, to go to her, her house. And I was, so I was by myself and 
I just spoke to myself and said, you know, you've, you know what to do right now. You know that you have done all this work for all these years to be sure that what you know is true, even when your feelings don't match that, even when your feelings are lying to you, you know what's true. Go with what you know is true. And it was honestly one of the hardest things I've ever done, but I just started crying out to Jesus. Didn't feel like God even existed in that moment, if I'm really honest about what my feelings were saying. But I just started crying out, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you know what? It wasn't instant, but over the next 24 hours, 48 hours, Oh, the presence of God in such a real tangible way, watching my family strong in the Lord, glorifying God, the the crazy oxymoron of going through an experience like this. And then the presence of God, his goodness, his faithfulness, the, the goodness of his sovereignty never was on greater display in my mind. And so I, I, I went from the darkest I've ever felt to the more, most sure that I've probably ever felt. But all of that was sort of swirling around the work I'd already done to know what I know is true. And so, you know, I just, I I would just encourage people as you're listening to this, that, you know, feelings are good. God gave us emotions. And, but, but we also have to recognize that we live in a fallen world where, where we are fallen people. We desire bad things sometimes. We think wrong things sometimes. Mm -hmm. And as we are sanctified in our process of becoming more and more like Christ every day, our minds do become renewed. And we, and we, and so, so sometimes your heart's going to be right. It's going to tell you, you know, to do what, what Jesus tells you to do, but sometimes it's going to tell you not to. And that's why we have to continue the renewing of our mind with the word of God, because that's what that does. And uh, in fact, I, I just, had an interview that I'm releasing this week uh, with Tara Lee Cobble, who's the host of the Bible yeah, Recap podcast. Yeah. And she was saying the same thing. Like you, you can't, and this is a direct quote of her. So <laughs> just credit her with this. She okay. said, you can't wait until the storm comes to build a boat. Mm-hmm. You have to build your boat long before the storm comes. And she was yeah. of course using that as a metaphor for getting the word of God in your heart and mind. So when that storm comes, you have that. And that's what, and, and that's the thing is when you do that, then your feelings are, you're continually lining your feelings up with truth every day when you're doing that. When you're yes. in the word, you're lining your feelings up with truth so that when those tough times come, that's already there. The boat is already built. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah. Yeah, man, that's so good. I love that quote. It just gave me chills because it's so, so true that, you know, that is what we're doing when we're filling our minds and hearts with truth and we are submitting ourselves to God every day. And, um, you know, and, and I mean, it's a continual process and no Christian, no, nobody on this earth is ever going to have quote unquote arrived. Like it just doesn't exist on, on this side of eternity. That isn't the promise, you know, but the promise is that Christ is with us in that, um, in that continual need of him. And, and I think, uh, in success in a sense, like if such a thing existed, but, um, but, you know, I went through a period of, kind of, uh, wandering away, uh, just in my lifestyle, um, during college and then coming back. And I think, I guess what I'm saying is like, when you have a pretty vanilla upbringing for most of your life, um, Mm -hmm. in, in the faith, it, it can actually be a source of insecurity because later on you're like, I, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I'm not really a Christian. Maybe I don't really, what if I'm lying to myself? What if I'm one of the people, and this is, you know, the devil just uses whatever lie he can, that's going to really be the thing that would shake your heart. But my own, you know, the whispers in my own mind and heart have been, what if you're one of the ones that is going to see God face to face and he's going to go depart? I never knew you. What if you're that Christian who quote unquote Christian, who like, who you've lived this like whitewashed tomb life, which I have, you know, there was a season where I did that, but I ha- I'm not doing that now. And yet he uses those old lies and those old um, familiar places of, of guilt or shame and to, um, to try and, you know, mask the truth that we've been set free. We've been redeemed. Our salvation is sure because of who God is, not because of who we are. Um, and he uses those lies. And, and where I have, you know, like I said, those whispers in my mind have been similar of, uh, you know, you are, you are maybe the one who is actually not really redeemed. And I think what I, what I've come to, um, I guess, see about that doubt or that question is that it centers on me and the center of that, of that entire train of thought is around myself. And so what, what it really forces me to then ask is 
well, I guess I, have I done enough to be saved? Maybe I need to do more. Oh, maybe my works aren't actually good enough. And, and it's all me oriented. It's not Christ oriented. Um, I don't think anything the devil does or, or any questions that the enemy introduces are ever going to be Christ oriented. They're always going to turn our eyes back to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's been helpful for me in those times where I have had those thoughts, uh, to just realign, like you said, with the truth and go, no, I am redeemed because of who Jesus is, not because of who I am, not because of what I have done, but because what, of, of what he has done. And, and if he has called me, you know, I can trust that he is going to see me through to the other side to glory. And that he, like my salvation is not dependent on even my own sureness or my own, um, assuredness of my salvation, because I'm putting it in, that would be me putting it in my own ability to believe versus the fact that, you know, Christ is who he says he is and he's going to enable me. He's going to, um, you know, and, and bring me, he's going to actually see me all the way through. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just been helpful to, to realize that a lot of those doubts are, um, you know, when they're oriented around ourselves, um, that's a really good red flag that, you know, you're kind of, you're going to find yourself in a catch 22 if that's where you stay. Yeah. Of just, you know, circling around yourself. That's good. So what is, um, what, what would you, what, what would you counsel people to do who are in a place of beginning to doubt, um, and, and following a feeling of, um, uncertainty? What, at, where do you, where do you start with that? I would, you know, somebody is, is, has honest questions about the faith they grew up with, 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 you know, there's, there may be things that you grew up with that are false versions of Christianity. I know that when I reconstructed my faith, it doesn't look today exactly like it looked growing up. I've come to change my theological position on, on certain things. Uh, after I began to study theology and realized, you know, I think that one particular thing, maybe they didn't get that uh, you know, I'm just talking about the church culture I grew up in, you know, maybe, maybe they didn't get that right. And so I've, I've had to correct even really cherished, deeply cherished beliefs. Uh, I've had to adjust, you know, according to what I believe is biblical. So I don't think it's bad to doubt mm-hmm. what, what you've been taught. In fact, the Bible says, test every spirit. We're supposed to question our beliefs. We're actually supposed to do that and test them against truth and against, and against the truth of his word. Uh, but I would say doubt well, and that's the advice I would give. And, you know, if, if somebody's experiencing doubts because they've already got a foot out the door, because they're looking for justification for unbelief, because I really, you know, there's all kinds of different doubt that people will bring up. I think there's only two kinds and all the other categories can fall under one of these two categories. There's doubt seeking justification for unbelief. So that's someone who's already wanting unbelief to be true. And so they're going to look for all kinds of reasons to justify that belief. And then there's doubt seeking truth. And if you're in the category of doubt seeking truth, I would encourage you to take every doubt, every thought to God and talk to him about it. Bring those questions to him, bring your reservations to him, study the word, study apologetics. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with going to get evidence for your beliefs. And we see that in scripture Mm -hmm. when John the Baptist was in prison. Herod had put him in prison. And John, I mean, think about it. This is like the first prophet after 500 years of silence announcing the Messiah himself. This is a guy that heard the audible voice of God, saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove and baptized the son of God himself. I mean, if anybody had a reason to not doubt, it would be John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. But he's sitting in prison thinking, well, this wasn't how it was supposed to turn out. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus and says, are you the one or should we look for another? Mm -hmm. And Jesus didn't shame him. He didn't say, John, you should stop doubting or you should, we don't ask questions like that here. (laughs) Right. You know, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus actually told John's disciples, go back and tell him what you've seen here. He offered him evidence and he offered him the evidence of miracles, of, of blind eyes, being opened, deaf ears hearing, the lame walking. And then another really kind of cool thing about that is Jesus referenced a prophecy that he knew John would know about, about the Messiah. And I just think that 
Jesus responded to John with evidence. There's nothing wrong with going to science, with going to, uh, you know, uh, different disciplines in apologetics to, to find out if what you believe is true, because God is truth. And there's not going to be anything that's going to, you know, the gospel can stand up to that kind of scrutiny. Yeah. Uh, but, but at the same time, don't lose that connection with God. Even in my darkest time of doubt, when I wasn't even sure God existed, I was still talking to him. And I would just say, if, if you, if, if you exist, I think you exist, but if you don't exist, but if you do exist, you know, and I would just keep yeah, talking. To yeah. him. And, and I mean, I, I think that's what I, that's what I would do because if you are truly a Christian, you know, like I can't imagine just tomorrow saying, Oh, it's not true. You know, it's going to be, it's, it's a, it's a long process, but just yeah. don't disconnect from God in that process. Yeah. I love that. Um, I, I'm reminded of, um, I know you're familiar with Nabil Qureshi yeah. and how he actually, you know, before he, um, actually would say that he had a conversion experience, he asked the true God to reveal himself. And what's amazing to me about that story is that he, he, you know, referred to God as Allah. And he was like, you know, Allah or whoever you are, the true God, whatever the true God is, I don't know if it's Allah, I don't know if it's someone else, whoever you are, reveal yourself to me. And the true God did. And so it's like, I mean, it's just incredible. I'm like, God is so patient with us. He does not, I mean, even if you get his name wrong, even if you, I mean, and I'm not saying he really was praying to Allah and then God answered, but he was, he was really asking, like, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I thought that Allah was God and now I'm questioning that. And so if there is another God and if you're the real true God, please reveal yourself to me. Um, And it's just, that floors me every time because it's like, God is not, you know, up on this um, lofty pedestal, refusing to be found. Like he has, yeah. he has come to us. Like, and of course we know he sent his son to us, but he continues to reveal himself to us and show us who he is. And so that's, I mean, I think that's the best advice for anyone who's doubting is ask God yourself, like speak yeah. to him. You don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to, I mean, it's definitely plug in at a local church and, and get involved in Bible study that's sound and um, and do what you can there locally as well. But I mean, don't forget that, you know, if Christianity is true, like the real true God will reveal himself to you. If you actually want to find him seeking, you shall find, you know? And so I just think that's, um, that's, that's encouraging for us too, as Christians, as we may have friends who are walking through things that we feel like, ah, I don't know how to prove this to you. Or, you know, what if I don't feel like I can prove it to you? You know, we don't actually have to do that. I mean, we have evidence that we can give and bring, um, that, that will be able to be supported. But, um, at the end of the day, like the Holy spirit has to open those spiritual eyes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's, you know, you can, and that's the thing where I think sometimes people put so much pressure on themselves. Like if I offer this evidence, like I better be able to, to, you know, prove every little thing, but it, you, you know, it's not on you to do that. It's the Holy Spirit's job to take somebody across the finish line, but he uses apologetics. He uses good arguments and and all of that stuff. And so, uh, yeah, just walking with our friends who are doubting and not reacting in fear, but just, just walking that journey with them is so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, my last question is like, uh, would there, is there any scriptures that specifically you remember really being impactful or helpful for you, um, in that season of reconstruction or, um, just as you continue that, uh, recenter your heart on truth. Well, that, that's a good question because when I was in the darkest part of my doubt, um, and this is not a good response, but I kind of stopped reading the Bible because I was afraid to read the Bible because I had never, um, I mean, just for a short time, but I, I had never seen anything that didn't come to me as just totally beautiful in the Bible. And so when all of these accusations were being brought against the Bible, it sort of implanted this, the voice of a skeptic into my brain. So when now when I would open up the Old Testament and read, I would see the God that they saw, the the one that they would characterize as mean, as a moral monster, as someone who, you know, condones all this evil. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I closed it because I didn't want to see God that way. And so there came a time when I opened my Bible back up and the voice of that skeptic was still there and it still is. And um, that sort of 
you know, one progressive writer, Rachel Held Evans, who mm-hmm. some people will be familiar with, who, who I've, you know, written a lot about her work and stuff. I don't agree with her. And I, I think that she's led people away from God. But there, there's a, a way she described how she walks with a limp after she started to see some of these things in the Bible. And I feel like I walk with that limp too. And mm-hmm. so I thought that was a, a good characterization of that. And so, um, but in a way, I think I realized that makes me read my Bible more humbly because now it, it, I, I really have to, to trust this is God's word. He is good. He is just, and I may not understand everything, but, but he is good. And so as I, the years have gone by and I've gotten back into reading and really studying for the first time, like really studying the Bible in a deep dive kind of systematic kind of way, watching the nature and the character of God emerge. And even just being able to say the wrath of God is beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, like if we didn't have, God didn't have wrath for sin, then heaven's just going to be full of hell. I mean, we, we should be very, so, so things that, that you might just on a cursory readover go, Oh, God is wrathful towards sin. He like, he destroyed people because of sin. Yikes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah thank God. Because he, if, if he didn't have that wrath for sin, he's got wrath for injustice. You know, we, everybody in our culture talks about justice. He's got wrath for injustice and he's going to fix it all one day. One day, like it's not yet. It's still, you know, things are still messed up, but one day he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. So when I got the bigger picture of the Bible, I think more than just one specific verse or one passage, understanding the Bible better as a book that's about God and not about me, the overarching timeline and the overall story that the Bible is telling uh, is, has come together for me in a way that I look at it and just think that is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so true. Cause that is, um, you know, a very common complaint that, uh, yeah, the God of the old Testament is mean and angry and he doesn't love people. (laughs) And it's like, well, you know, that's quite a, uh, quite painting with quite a broad brush. But like you said, if you don't have hatred of sin, then heaven is going to be full of hell. And then what is, what are we being saved for? You know, like this, the gospel is not good news. If, um, if God doesn't hate sin and hate injustice, and if he's not righting those wrongs, like you said, so yeah, man, there's so many good, um, things to take away from this conversation. Um, today in your walk, like what role do feelings play in your, uh, you know, in your walk with Jesus and in light of pursuing the truth and, you know, being steeped in it. Um, what role do you, do you feel those, those should play in the life of a believer? Wow. That's a good question. I mean, I think I'm still probably figuring that all out. I think that, um, there are times when I'm sort of afraid of my feelings and there are times when, um, I actually really grieve some of the, uh, you know, some of the things I've had to change theologically where I miss that kind of culture of what I had to deny in, in a way, maybe false beliefs about God and about worship and things. And so um, I think that that we just, we, we need to, we are, you know, we, we are emotional beings. And I think that for me, I've just, I think my prayer is just, Lord, line my feelings up with yours. Mm-hmm. You know, break my heart when yours breaks, you know, like that, so, that old song, break my heart for what breaks yours. I mean, yeah. let, let me, let my feelings be lined up because I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to lean too heavy on my feelings. I want to go with what I know is true, but, um, just asking God to continually line those things up, I think. Yeah, that's great. It's good advice for all of us to, just remember that, um, yeah, those are God-given uh, capacities that we have, but they can, you know, they are affected by the fall and, you know, not, uh, this is something that I say to my daughter. Uh, there's a book, I can't remember the name of the book, but um, it, one of the lines in there is, uh, oh, it's called, what are you feeling? One of the lines is a feeling is just a feeling. It's not in charge of you. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. we say that and it's helpful to remember like, yeah, your feeling is real, but it's also just a feeling and it doesn't get to be the boss and you, you don't get to say, well, I feel this way. So I'm going to this, you know, no, that isn't how we're going to live our lives. <laughs> like we're not, you yeah. can feel that and we're going to process that and we'll talk about it and we'll, you know, we'll preach truth over you and we'll remind you that God is, you know, loving and patient and kind and all these things. And, or, you know, and he's forgiven you so you can forgive your sister or whatever the situation is. But we're not going to allow that feeling to cause us to go into a rage or to pout all day or sit in the corner or, you know, um, let it ruin our lives because. And I think too, like I had the benefit 
of having a mom that really helped us identify our feelings. Mm-hmm. And I've, as I've grown up, I've realized that not everybody had that. Like a lot of people were taught to stuff their feelings, to not identify them. Uh, in fact, you know, years ago I went through an eating disorder. So I was in a kind of support group and in the support group, they'd have you go through this list of emotions and identify how you were feeling that day. And everybody, you know, several people in the group were having such a hard time identifying their emotions because they were always taught that emotions are bad. Sadness is bad. You know, anger is bad. Everything's bad. And so that was a struggle for them. But I remember saying in the group once, like, sometimes I feel like it's okay for me to keep an emotion in, you know, because Mm -hmm. I I realized my mom did a great job of that. And so um, I try to do that with my kids too. So I think, I think I'm want to be sensitive to the, to the emotion talk because a lot of people have never been given permission to feel their feelings. Yeah. And, and that is something that can really stunt uh, someone's perception even of the world. And so I might be in a phase of my life where I'm like, okay, it's okay for me to not, you know, just dive into my feelings all the time. But maybe somebody listening is like, man, I've never been given permission to feel sad. Yeah. And, and so everybody's at a different place as far as feelings go, but just take those feelings to the Lord. Lord, I feel Mm -hmm. sad. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and cause they're very real and they're created by God and you've been given those emotions for a reason. Yeah. And I, I think that is, a great point and helpful to be, you know, reminded of that we are in, in different places and and for the person who is feeling sad, um, not to be told, uh, well, you shouldn't feel sad. You should feel joy of the Lord. You know, if you're a Christian, then you're going to be happy all the time. Like, well, you know, we actually know that's not true. And, um, and Jesus is with the brokenhearted. And, and so um, I, I think that the beautiful thing is that when we do align our feelings with truth, we don't have to, we don't have to deny anything we're feeling, but it actually can point us to a better hope and point us to the gospel. Um, and I think in the, in the depth of that feeling, whether that is sadness or doubt or fear, whatever it is, I think that is a place that we sometimes are most able to see who God really is and, and just how beautiful he is. Because in light of that fear, you know, what has he done and what has he, what hope has he brought us? And so, um, you know, I, I, I think that's obviously a conversation and something that has to be walked through, um, with a person. It's not, you know, we can't diagnose that on a podcast episode, but, um, but I think it's helpful to, to recognize that, yeah, we don't have to deny and pretend like it's not there and just, you know, um, brush everything under the rug, but rather say like, how is God, how is he using this to draw me to himself? Like like what, how is he actually able to transform, um, you know, my, my morning into gladness and why, why, why should I, or why, you know, what's, what about the truth that he offers in the Bible can do that for me and then ask him, you know? So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, well, Lisa, I just appreciate your time and sharing your story with us. Where can people find you and connect with you online? You can go to alisachilders.com. You can also subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, the Alisa Childers podcast. Also on the Alisa Childers, I have a channel on YouTube. And actually my podcast is going to be moving to the video format next month. So go on YouTube and subscribe and you'll get a a notification when that happens. So, Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, I look forward to sharing this with people. Awesome. Thanks, Haley. Guys, thanks for joining us for today's episode. Um, Be sure and come find me on Instagram, say hello and follow along. I'm very active on there at hayleywilliams.kindled and leave a podcast review if you have not done that. I love to hear from you guys and read every single one. So encouraging and helpful to know uh, what you enjoy about the show or what could be better. So let me know. And lastly, come join us on patreon at patreon.com slash kindled podcast to get those bonus episodes every single week uh fire starters episodes they're awesome love to have you in there all right guys have an awesome week and i will talk to you friday if you're in patreon and if not next monday see ya